You're listening to Charge, a CCS podcast. Hey, y'all, this is Chad Dirksy. I'm the president at Chattanooga Christian School. Welcome to the Charge podcast. Uh, with me today is a few people that are really important to CCS for a lot of different reasons. Um, Ellie Mela uh, teaches in our world language department as the department head. Matt Monahan uh, is our Bible department head and, and teaches senior Bible and, and oversees and runs robotics. Uh, and Nikki Ellis is our academic dean. So I want to welcome them today. And my hope is you hear a lot more from them than you do from me. And and really what we're trying to do in, in, in this podcast is to welcome you into conversations that go to the heart of what it means to be a Christian school and, and what are the foundations that shape and form everything that comes out of uh, the, the deepest levels of foundation at CCS all the way to the program implementation and the curriculum that we choose. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about how the truth of Genesis 1 and chapter 2 actually shape uh, everything that we do. So the, the focus there, right, is God's let there be activities, his creation activities. And we see the culmination of his creation being his, his design of his image bearers, the creation of humanity, uh, male and female, uh, and what that means that we're made in his image and what he's invited us into. It's a beautiful thing to consider that God, the creator, engages us in personal relationship and gives us a task to do to fill the earth and subdue it. So what I'd love to do is just spend a little time hanging out and talking about how does that actually influence what we do on a daily basis. So without calling out names, maybe somebody could just jump in and say, how does that actually impact what we do at CCS on a daily basis? But um, maybe before getting to the how it impacts, and uh, thanks for having us here, by the way, Chad. This is pretty cool. feels kind of like Joe Rogan or something like that. Um, <laughs> there's some basic theology that, that is just worth uh, highlighting before you get into the, the, the practical ways that it influences how we do what we do. And looking at Genesis 1 and 2, you know, maybe three quick things. You know, number one, the way God created compared to all of the other um, religions of the time that Moses was writing this was really unique, you know, because God is the triune God. He was totally self-sufficient. You know, within the Trinity, there was perfect community and, and, and full um, love between the members. And so when God created, he created out of an abundance and not a need. Uh, and secondly, when scripture talks about him creating man, you know, a lot of the other um, uh, creation stories would talk about God mixing spit with mud and making people to be basically slaves. They were not very dignified people at all. And yet um, uh, scripture tells us that, that God created by breathing his very, uh, his very breath, his very wind, his very um, spirit, all through the same word into people and then they bear his image. You know, that's really, really uh, powerful and unique and radical, you know, for the time uh, that it came out. And then finally, scripture says that everything that was created was created by God and that everything that was created was good, you know, good, good, very good. And so, it, you know, there's bumper stickers and stuff today that say, you know, it's all good and teenagers say it's all good, but that's, that's really, that goes back um, to Augustine, maybe, who popularized it, and it goes all the way back to Genesis. So if your starting point is, it's all good, everything is good, and that 
sin or evil is a is basically a wrong choice or a wrong direction, you know, with something from God's good creation. Those three things, I think, lay a really powerful starting point for why we do what we do in terms of what we study and things like that. Yeah, in a world that's really, really hard and really, really complicated and sometimes produces a lot of anxiety, one of the things that we have the privilege of doing in a Christian school is to, is to root all that we do in this very, very good thing. So we get to remind our students on a regular basis that 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 very, very good creation, that's their story too. It's not just a mythical story of some people way back then and another time in history, but we get to say, this is your story. This is a beautiful thing that this is your story. Now, the next time we get together after this, we're going to talk about the fall piece and sin and how that corrupted all that. But I appreciate Matt, you pointing that out because I think that's a critical part, particularly in the world we live in today. Just this morning, uh, seniors in their capstone groups uh, for the senior capstone projects that they are working on this year uh, were engaged in the process of unpacking what they see as God's intent for creation in Genesis 1. Um, so this is not just work and conversation that we're interested in having with the adults on our campus, but also making sure that the students themselves are equipped in it. And, and for them to just simply, again, walk through um, an incredibly familiar passage with that question in mind and the sorts of things that... Um, that they were able to note and identify, right? So the strangeness of saying that separation is present, that there's a form of separation that's goodness. What does that mean for thinking about order and structure and place? Um, I think some of the other things that they noticed are just an, an, a, a consistent reiteration of abundance and reproduction. And that connection, Matt, with what you were describing in terms of God's own abundant and generative creative spirit, right? So there's image bearing going on um, as well there. And then this notion of time and space, right? Evening and morning. So these patterns and these structures. So they're engaged in thinking through what are some areas of creation where they see a problem or brokenness. And the question always has to be, how is it supposed to be? What could it have been like? Um, so just that work of, of, coming back to that and exploring it. What does it look like for that to be the framework with which our students look at problems or brokenness in the world to be able to say, there, there is a way it ought to have been, and we can know that because of this story that we tell ourselves and one another in community um, and how that, how that can redirect and shape. Yeah, I think, too, I, I won't always draw a direct parallel to the world language department and what we do, but I, I can't help but mention it here as we talk about God breathing his, his image into every, every person he created. And as we think about world language and we think about learning other languages, we often think so much about what I, what I will say to others. Um, but we, we, can't, we can't learn language without learning of the culture that comes with those languages. And we can't learn language without learning to listen to those cultures. And so seeing that God made us and told us to fill the earth and subdue it. His intention was for us to spread out, was to become diverse peoples all over the world with diverse languages. And as we see God's image in other cultures and relate to people who are made very differently than us, um, and we see, oh, they're very different from me, but they're they're reflecting God's image. What does that mean about who God is? Um, one of the most beautiful things to me about learning a second language and teaching a second language is, is learning more 
of the God who's created us that we can't learn if we are just isolating ourselves to one culture or one style of life. That's fascinating. We talk about all these very good things and thinking about the way it should be. And one of those things that includes is the fact that we are different. Um, and, and there are no gradations in our differences of the way we bear, of, of the value of God's image in us. We know that, but we live in this performance-oriented world that makes us feel like there are gradations. If I do this thing, I'm more valuable, I'm, I'm more creative, I'm more this. But the actual intentionality in world language, for example, of saying as we reach out and spread out and listen and understand and learn about other cultures, we're actually engaged in the type of activity that allows us to see those gradations and difference, not gradations, we don't have gradations, but those differences, it allows us to see those things that as connectors, right, to bring us together. Matt, you've talked about this before, but I think this is a valuable point here in robotics, kind of use that as an illustration to say, how do we, how do, how does, how does that reflect the differences that are part of God's image bearing, but also how it brings us together as a community? Yeah, that's, thank you. Um, you know, going all the way back to the Trinity, there's that one, one in the many, you know, where you've got three persons, one being uh, full community, uh, diversity of persons. Uh, and that's really kind of the goal through scripture. You know, there is God's chosen people in the Old Testament constantly bringing people in. Uh, but the, the hope is that um, all peoples will be united in Christ, you know, one spirit in all people and all cultures and all people, you know, before God's throne. And so even one of the coolest things about robotics is it is a, it's a motley crew. You know, you have all these, these different students and um, you've got computer programmers and video gamers and just super brilliant mechanical engineering types. Uh, you've got, you've got some, some crossover jocks, you know, who, who play sports and then they'll come over and they love the training. And so you put together all these different teams and, you know, one team is anywhere from, you know, three to six people. And, um, typically you'll have, you know, a, a mechanic, um, who's very hands-on, very hardware, uh, and you'll have a programmer who is just for the rest of the team, they're wielding this, you know, black magic on a laptop that just brings a robot to life. And you've got drivers who, I mean, our best drivers are either like, you know, uh, can we say names on this or should we refrain from names? No, Name, okay. So you got like, you know, Sam Rayford, who has probably spent way too much of his life playing video games. And, you know, I did the same thing, you know, years I can never get back, but he's an absolute baller on the robotics field. And then, um, You've got Sky Reed, who played basketball her whole life, comes out as a driver, and all the other drivers who are like video gamers are learning from her because she's like the one person who's played sports and knows how to come out and drill with discipline. And so, you know, you've got the jock and the gamer and the mechanic and the programmer, um, and um, very different. They wouldn't usually have a reason to hang out, and yet here's this project, you know, this challenge to to build and program and drive and, and engineer and document a robot. Oh, and I didn't even talk, talk about the project managers. You will get some of these people that are just uber organized and love to have deadlines and plans and to pull the team together and to have goals. And the rest of the team can kind of resent, but it's a very unusual set of suspects. And yet they come together and uh, you get the chemistry right and it becomes an awesome team. 
So I, I do, that's a, that's a picture, I think, of God's kingdom, you know, bringing this diversity of people together um, out of a common love and towards a common goal um, and to do great things. And I think even, even to explore, Matt, the ways in which that your version of the story just there to describe what that community is up to reflects in terms of order some of the creation the creation story too right that that both being mm-hmm. and community and diversity precede actual carrying out of the task yeah right so i mean here are all the commands be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion right which is clearly what these kids in robotics are doing they're having dominion in all of these creative generative sorts of ways but before they even begin the task what's needed is a recognizing mm-hmm. is a recognition that being is already set they're already image bearers that's right the establishment of community where they come together with all of those diverse gifts right like this is again a reflection of of god's like first assessment of adam adam right being like no it's not good yet it's not good to be alone what's needed is difference and diversity to to come together um and so that whole sense of what does it look like if instead of looking to the task and the accomplishment and the competition as the thing from which there's value, to recognize that everything that proceeds even prior to the task um, is where the goodness is. Yeah, and there's a there's a tremendous amount of power in the gospel, even for coaching robotics, where, you know, we'll tell the students that, um, well, first going back to Augustine, that there's there's greater goods and, and lesser goods, and it's good to win. But it's kind of in that medium, lesser range of things. But, you know, your, your friends are much greater goods. Those relationships are much greater goods. Your relationship with God is arguably the most important good or relationship. And so we'll start and talk about if one of those higher goods gets sacrificed for a lower good, you lose everything, you know. And so, and, and that's a starting point. And then also going into a competition, you know, if you're in Christ, then you already have everything you could ever need in terms of identity, in terms of value, in terms of these things. And so, you are freely going out to do your best. And there's nothing on the line, right? Uh, Win or lose, at the end of that competition, you, um, um, you are the same person in Christ in terms of your value. And so, there is so much power in that to fail and to learn from failures. And so, I lined up uh, all the elements and the trophies from our different seasons and just watching how we've grown. And we had a couple of years of utter failure and where we didn't win anything, but the power of the gospel is that you're not, you're not, uh, you're not um, identified by that, you're not determined by that, and so you can learn from your failure and grow. You know, and I, I, I think that's something a Christian school, you know, rooted in the gospel has that not everybody has because you are enslaved to your own performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this rich freedom that we have in Christ to, to try and to fail and to know that, that that is not only, like, it's fine, but it's also welcome. We, we learn so much from that and we have this security in, our, in the image of God in us and in our colleagues and our classmates that allows allows us to try and to fail and to and to push again. Can you say a little bit more about that, Ellie? Because when I think about, I mean, first, I would like for every corner and area of our campus and school community to be a place where that sort of risk-taking is feasible and comfortable because of what we believe about who we are and identity and value rooted in Christ. But when I think about two places where it's absolutely necessary every single minute, the two places I think of are one, ceramics, right? I mean, in terms of building with clay and working it, and sometimes the thing you've spent hours and days on it, and then it just breaks in the kiln, and you start over, and that's all there is to it. But the other place I think of is world language, where if students are in the target language and struggling to do it, they are going to be 
messing up publicly all the time. Can you, I would just love to hear a little bit from you about how that theology shapes classrooms practice in your classes. Yeah, for sure. It's a great question. I think this, it is this sense of this, like the riches that we have in Christ. It gives us this freedom that is like overwhelmingly wonderful. I mean, we're, we're free from, from the anxiety that it is to mess up because if we understand God has made me for a purpose, God has like put his stamp of approval on me and said, this creation is good. Um, but he also, he, like we know from scripture that none of us are made perfect. And I think it it is, it's one of these things we have to establish with our students early in the year and say, this is a place where you have freedom to try and freedom to fall and know that you won't be rejected. You'll be, you'll be received back for another try. And it's something that we have to remind our students of constantly. And I think as teachers, something that we struggle with on a daily basis and have to, as we preach it to our students, we're saying it again to ourselves saying we have this freedom in Christ to not have to be perfect. And sometimes we have to tell our students when, when we mess something up and I have found some of those experiences in the classroom to be the most rich with my students. When I say this was a time that I messed it up and I need y'all to give me some grace. Um, and my students have done that. So I think, modeling that and and then just constantly reminding because it is so countercultural our our culture wants us to wants us to perform and wants us to do a great job and and we have standards for the grades that we want to get or for what we want to produce and um so it, it has to be established early in the classroom and it has to be established early with colleagues and then we have to keep coming back to that idea but it is this just the wealth of this freedom that we have in Jesus. I, I love that phrase. This is why podcasts are fun because you come up with stuff that you haven't heard before. That idea of receive back for another try. I, I just think that's such welcoming language, right? And that communicates the beauty of God's call uh, and equipping for a community. Keeping in mind, right, that the, the, the baseline for being received back for another try ultimately is that core identity, right? We are in Christ and and we are made in the image of God. And when we're received back for another try and we take another step out, we're we're actually participating in let there be, right? God said, let there be. Those are the creation activities. We're actually creating, right, when we step back into it and receive for another try. So we get to give these beautiful fortes of God's creative capacity as bearers of his image, as we step into those messes and aren't bound by shame in the context of failure and disappointment, we're actually freed. That's a really, it's, it's, it's countercultural. That is a great way of putting it, but it's radically different than, than what the world would teach us. Even some of the things we think are, are awesome and wonderful that get kind of meshed into that. This is such a beautiful reality that it, it ought to make what we do on a day-to-day basis at CCS very different. And, it, and, and the day-to-day basis is the important thing because to actually transform beliefs into absorbing that kind of message requires a saturation of practice, right? Requires a repeated experience of this. And I think that's something we both need to be doing in conversations with ourselves and one another 
in conversations with students. And this is, I think, one of the most beautiful areas to see partnership with parents really come alongside. Um, and I think about the ways that that's shaped me over my life. Um, Matt has heard this story before, but one of the most powerful things my parents handed off to me was my dad's repeated articulation to me, um, Nikki, when you wake up in the morning before your feet hit the floor, before you have done anything good or anything bad, your heavenly father is pleased with you. And I think about what it would look like if every single one of us stepped into our classrooms and into our spaces confident that our Heavenly Father's pleasure was present and for us and believing that that was really the thing that mattered the most in terms of that primary relationship and what that would do to, um, to anxiety, to fear, to arrogance, to self-righteousness, to, to worry, um, all of those kinds of things. There's profound freedom, but it takes that saturation of practice, the, the liturgical repetition of hearing and seeing and unpacking through, through every corner of our lives to move us towards um, a belief that is enduring. Yeah, I'd love to connect what Nikki just said to what Chad said a minute ago. You know, um, both in, in, the, in the secular world and in Christian circles, both groups are going to agree that, you know, failure is one of the greatest teachers. You know, that's a very practical statement. You know, but from a, from a Christian worldview, you know, if God is superintending all, uh, there's, there's so much more meaning and purpose in that failure. And then, you know, when I, I became a Christian in high school, and I struggled for a long time with the whole justification thing, thing that Nikki was talking about, you know, how can God look at me and see a perfect person when clearly I'm not, you know? Um, and, you know, in, in recent years, there's, there's a power to it because I, I do think that the reason God can, can look at us and say, here is my, um, uh, my perfect child, Nikki, it's not that it's a fiction, you know, it's that God, perhaps the best way to explain this is outside of time, and he sees the whole, you know, he doesn't experience time in terms of past, present, and future. And so, he sees each one of us as, for lack of a better phrase, our ultimate destiny. And so, he knows that if there is a person that belongs to him that is in Christ, that that person can't help but become everything he intended for them to be. And so, it's not a fiction. It's just that, you know, God, God knows the end of the story, so to speak. And that, that truth is not just pie-in-the-sky cerebral. You know, it, for one person waking up in the morning before their feet hit the floor, it's a big deal. For me as a teacher, you know, that I can look at every one of my students and try to imagine them through God's eyes. You know, you might be a total cantankerous, rebellious pain in the butt right now, but what does God see, you know? And if you can have that perspective, uh, it will transform the way you see people, the way you, the way you treat people, the way you interact with your students. And so, it is one of those ideas that has massive consequences. Mm -hmm. And the, the relationship too, I think, with, with the, that notion of goodness, um, that God is the one who defines that. And so often what's happening is that we are living in a different understanding of the good, than what he states. And for me so often, and I see this in other folks as well, is that tendency of saying it's perfection that means getting everything right and not making any mistakes, having all the details in the right order and all the systems working smoothly, getting my homework in on time, all of those sorts of things where that's what we hear, that's what we think when we hear something like good or perfect. But in Genesis 1, what's actually going on that's the goodness is not just the things in themselves, 
but the relationship between the things. And so that whole sense of what does it look like in terms to think about that goodness as being those relationships that you described, right? And to set things right. And suddenly goodness isn't just about me making sure I'm doing right things, but it's a concern for to aim towards restored relationships between me and the father, between um, me and my colleagues and my family and my friends, and then also between self and creation, the world and and all that is out there and what I'm studying in world language and what I'm thinking about or reading in Bible class or in English class. And it's that, it's that interactivity um, that where the wholeness is. So, so let's switch gears just a little bit and say, okay, so all that is who we are yeah. and it what frees us to do the work he's called us to do. We're not we're not judged, let's say, by the quality of the work in one sense, right? It doesn't make us who we are. There's much more to it. But in, in a beautiful sense, we also have the ability to reflect the manifest glory of God and, and unlock the beauty and the hidden potential of his creation in the work that we call our students to do. So understanding that our identity um, undergirds all these other things that we do how does that shape though the work we ask students to do does that make sense how do we how do we then take that and say because i am therefore this is what i do and how does that shape the way we call our students into purposeful work i think it means that we can have really high expectations for our students i mean we can call them to hard work and we can call them to deep thought and we can call them to like long attention given to something and expect that they're able to do that because they are God's creations. And so I think it, that makes me excited to, to call my students to higher and, and harder challenging things and not say like, if you can't do this, this is the end for you. But because I see, because I see what God has put in you, I can expect a lot from you. So because of who God is and because of who you are, here's what you're able to do. Yeah, and then also I think the scope of creation, right? There is so much here that is ever generative and abundant and able to be explored. We're not going to get to the end of what it is to understand French or the end of what it is to understand how language works, right? This is going to be ongoing and ever developing. It's not even fixed or static, um, that I can just arrive and say that I'm done or that I've mastered this area or this thing um, because of the scope. So it's both, it's, yeah, it's the scope of the, the student as created image bearer and then the scope of the work itself too is also of, of near infinite scope and certainly eternal purpose. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about. Oftentimes, Christian schools have been criticized because we 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 want our students to love Jesus, but we're not very rigorous about the things we ask them to do and the work we do. So, what I think I'm hearing you say it's it's because we serve this beautiful triune God, and because His love for us meant He sent His Son for us that we we set a standard and say, look at what we have the capacity to create. Am I wrong about that? Or, or that seems like a different motivation and a different driver than do this to get to college or do this, right? Because it's gonna make you look good or do this because you'll get an A. How do you try to fit all those pieces together? And, and how do we help our students see a broader, bigger purpose in all that in the work we ask them to do? You know, it's not unlike where we started in terms of God creating out of an abundance you know, and if students 
can catch that that they they already enjoy you know full status before God the Father, then they are they are um, studying or creating or or doing assignments or whatever out of that abundance, not not in order to get the thing, but because of you know what's what's already been done. Uh, that changes things a lot. You know, if if um, I mean I'm a Bible teacher and I've been to seminary and and. I'm a, I'm not there yet. You know, I'm still very much enslaved to my own performance, and I I I long to have that kind of rest where I'm not doing the thing in order to get the status. You know, but to be able to articulate that before our students and even for them to see that their teachers are struggling with it, it's like, hey, welcome to the struggle. <laughs> you know, we're all we're on the same family here. We're in the same boat. Yeah. So so striving to reach that standard that we set that's a high standard out of that abundance mentality, it, it really goes back to what Nikki said earlier too, is I wake up every morning and I realize that before I put my foot on the ground to do anything, God is pleased with me. I'm in his image. I, I can create these wonderful things. It might be different than the student sitting next to me because God made me different on purpose. But the bottom line is that's the abundance you're talking about, correct? That, that oh, yeah. when we say we're, that, that God created out of abundance, we have the opportunity and privilege to create out of that same abundance tied back to what Nikki's saying is our starting point when we wake up every morning. Yes? Yes, yes. And the, the blessing there, right, is the task. So like it's the Genesis narrative is clear that work is a created good, not a result of the fall, not just a time filler, um, and not a not a means to a better end, but in and of itself is a good. Um, God bless them, and then gives the gives these commands to do all of these sorts of things that are that are work, and that's where the goodness is. And I think sometimes we miss in all of the the pressure and busyness that one of the things to remember is delight. Um, and again, we see God doing this throughout those passages. He stops and he takes the time to say, it's good to make that judgment, um, that evaluative statement of goodness about the work that he's done. Um, and the, both the process and the product in terms of what we want students engaged in is, is it's acceptable for us to aim towards goodness, to think that the process should be delightful and that the product should also be something that brings delight to others. Um, are there lots and lots of things that need to be gone through in terms of practice to get there? Yeah, we don't just always arrive at a beautiful end product and it's messy along the way. Um, and I suppose we'll get more into that when we talk about the fall. Um, but it is, it is delightful to do good work um, and it's what we're created for. Mm -hmm. And I think... You, you can see that everywhere. You, we don't see it only in Christian organizations where that work is important. We can see in the secular world that people are longing for purposeful work. And people, this is, it's something everyone wants. Everyone wants a, a job that means something or they want, they're, they're looking for a purpose in life. So this is a way that we see that we don't, like at CCS, we don't have, we don't have our little corner on what it means to be in the image of God, but everyone has God's image, whether they acknowledge it or not. And one of those ways is that we are always searching for purposeful work to do. That's great, Ellie. And that's actually something we're going to kind of pause here um, as we think about what does that actually look like? I love the idea of thinking everyone bears God's image, even if they don't know it, or even sometimes don't want to, and how we look for that and how we see that reality 
in our desire to have purposeful work and have a job that that creates meaning. We're going to talk about the relationship of that to the fall, and then therefore, where do we seek for truth, even in the context of messiness and brokenness? But we're going to do that next time because we want to make these long enough that you can then you can use on your morning commute, but not too long that you won't listen all the way to the end. So let me say thank you to Ellie and Nikki and Matt for for our time together, and and you have a wonderful opportunity to hear them again because hopefully they're back with me to talk about what does the fall into sin mean and then what God's doing in redemption and and the renewal of all things. We're going to do two more on these two subjects uh, coming up soon, but this is the Charge Podcast. Thanks for your time. Hope you'll listen again soon. Mm-hmm.